to Trail Angels, powered by Care of the Load. It's Annette and Mark Anderson and David Perez. Welcome, David. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. David is an educator from New York City. He has spent 25 years teaching literacy, dance, and communication in the city's public school system at MS88. David serves as a coordinator and staff developer. He has led community building workshops for teachers, students, and parents. He is a tireless advocate for literacy-based empathy curriculum. And I'm so excited to touch base and learn a little bit more about that a little later on here in in our conversation. David is a non-violent communication trainer for nwcnvc.org and a classroom teacher trainer for Outward Bound. Paris is also passionate about acrobatic dance. And he and his partner, Zoe Klein, were semi-finalists on America's Got Talent. Good job. We are excited to even hear about this. So interesting. David has taught and performed in 26 countries and created 13 instructional DVDs. He is also passionate about his humor and topics that students care about in order to teach critical thinking skills and life lessons. David is also an author of a memoir and oral history, A COVID Story. David spent three months in a hospital, one month in a coma. And um, I just can't even imagine. Yeah. I, I am in awe that you're with us today. I'm humbled and grateful that you're with us today and that you, you look well. It took a while. <laughs> it took a year. Um, I contracted COVID last March. I was one of the first people who got seriously ill in New York City. And um, like many people, I spent a week sicker than I've ever been in my life, but not having the worst symptoms. Then on that eighth day, uh, I went from sick to could barely breathe, fell asleep in front of my fridge, didn't have enough energy to make it back to bed. And I got a call from my family that said, you need to go to the hospital. And I refused. Um, but then when I realized I couldn't talk to, to refuse, I realized, well, maybe they have a point. Uh, <laughs> it it wasn't the- funny at the time, was it? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I generally don't listen to my sister, uh, my older sister, who actually was the angel for me, who uh, got me there. And But this time I did. And... I, when I got to the hospital, that very moment, I went from short of breath to couldn't breathe at all. And apparently tons of people have the same experience. They, you know, like sometimes you, you, you have to go to the bathroom or something like that. And you're, and this doesn't really feel it until you're like 10 feet away from your house. It was kind of like that. Like the moment uh, I really could feel how bad my uh, lungs were. And I always wanted abs of steel, but apparently I got lungs of cement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can laugh about it now. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's funny now. I couldn't breathe then. It was interesting. And within seconds, they got me an oxygen tank. And oxygen was the thing that got me past the first few hours. Um, But I went from a moderate case to severe case. They put um, put me on a ventilator. And this is where a lot of people... Uh, I have to thank New Yorkers because if they didn't flatten the curve, I wouldn't have lived. Um, they didn't have uh, the ventilator was not good enough for me. I was too sick. I was the sickest person in the COVID floor. 
Um, and but because they had an ECMO machine and they flattened the curve enough to have enough ECMO machines for me, um, I went into an intubation uh, medical coma for 32 days. And um, thank, thank, thank. I have so many people to thank for the the doctors, the New Yorkers who came through for me. Um, I think prayer really made a big difference. The thousands of people were praying on my behalf, and just the love I received um, when I woke up. It was uh, the shock of my life to realize that I matter to so many people. I didn't know I mattered. When when you touch death, when you come close to, um, you know, it's funny. Being I was forty eight at the time. I was uh, divorced, not having kids, and I was just telling my roommate that you know it's just like if I die, it'll be okay. But I remember the dream I had when I was in the coma, when I, I, I saw a spirit that told me I was going to die. And I was like, forget what I said. I want to live. <laughs> you know? And it was with that passion that I every single day after waking up, I, I, I had that dream, that spirit in my head saying, no, you, you do want to live. You have so many things you want to do. I think you read a pretty extensive list of my biography and there's plenty more things. And it was interesting to get that wake up call for life that you only get in the worst circumstances. And it was a blessing to uh, be saved, but it was a blessing as well to, to look at my experience differently, which I'm going to talk about carrying the, carrying the load and, and leaving a trail because not every day was easy. And, and I want to share that with, with everybody. Thank you for, for being willing to take this very difficult experience in life and learning from it and then wanting to share and to help others on their journey. It was the first thing I, when I woke up, I thought to myself, wow, I knew the pain I went through. Um, and I knew, I knew how hard it was going to be. So the, the fear and the terror you wake up with, you know, it's funny people say, um, People think, oh, you wake up isolated and alone. And that's one one millionth of the pain of the real isolation. The isolation you feel is you, you just touch death and you are on the other. My heart stopped four times. And um, when your body experiences that, you wake up in terror. And I was, I've never... I'd never experienced what it's like to be loved by a medical community. I didn't know. I never spent overnight in a hospital. And to get that love and affection really really meant something to me. And I want to share so many stories. One is a thanks to the medical community. Um, two is, 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 you know, I, I did a very dangerous version of appreciating life. You don't need to be near death to appreciate everything around you. <laughs> so I, uh, the, 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 the trail I try to leave for other people is um, we can become numb sometimes to the things that uh, we, we can't appreciate in life because we're, we're walking through just being upset with things. But the difference when you get somebody to smile or somebody smiles at you and you could feel their heart warm, those were the memories that came to me even just as equally as with the people I love. And our impact on the world is so profound. And it's so, I spent this last year being alive again, totally different than my last set of decades where I was valuing people and valuing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. My dance partner has this beautiful 20 month old kid who just loves standing on grates, putting his hand in between cushions. Um, he loves to just throw something down. And I've experienced life totally different now. I used to think I needed to be the very best to be happy. And now I just need to really enjoy the moment to be happy. And I think you wrote about that in your podcast, uh, your description that really life is not about the destination. 
change your process. And there's no better wake up call to be near, you know, to be near death, to have that come true as something um, to do. And, um, and whether it's a smile or a beautiful boy or a book that you're reading, not being preoccupied with worry about what you need to do in, the, in life. That's my message that I have to, that, that I'm happy to share. You know, that, that's a great way to start our conversation today, because, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of movies that, I, that I've seen throughout my life. Movies that uh, talk about someone dying and being able to come back to life and how they were different. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, you, you, you could probably name a dozen movies that, that, that that's been the case. And so, you know, you, you've talked a little bit about passion and about how passion has been maybe a bigger part of your life during the last year or so. But what would you say have been the biggest changes in you from pre-March of 2020? Yeah, the biggest one, I had a dream. Uh, my whole life, I was on America's Got Talent as a semifinalist. Um, it changed my life. And I traveled the world doing acrobatic dance. And even being super successful, performed for a lot of circuses, it was still not enough. I wanted to be the Cirque du Soleil star. I wanted, even though I performed at 26, I want to perform on all of them. You know, performed in front of millions of people, not enough. And it was never enough. And uh, during my coma, they were playing salsa music and my shows as I was sleeping. And I could tell you, I spent weeks dancing all around the world in five-star hotel resorts and doing great, great shows. And it was kind of great until one day I finally knew that if I could just get this diamond at the bottom of the world, I could finally get what I've always wanted. And I was in a convertible with this beautiful woman and I was running people over. I got this diamond. I brought it to the top of the world. And I said, I got it finally. And in that final moment where I achieved what I've always wanted to achieve, a spirit came and sliced me in half and cut immediately, permanently, this fascination with needing something to be happy. And he revealed to me these universes that were all existing at the same time that I was like ignorant of. And when I accepted that truth, my life changed for this past year in a way that I can never again perform because I want to be happy. I, or to achieve something, my happiness is a constant struggle now to appreciate what's around me. I don't have the illusion. And to some degree, um, you know, we're all captured. I mean, maybe most people are captured by uh, some future vision of success and not realizing they could be happy in the moment as they're trying to achieve that. And it's funny, I called the America's Got Talent producer uh, a few months back. I said, okay, I'm ready to do the COVID story comeback where I'm going to do the season. And and I, I just got uh, my body back. It took a year of training to get most of it back, not completely, but enough to do a good show. And he said, well, we just wrapped up the season. We're going to put you in for the next season for sure. And I trained that day not having that goal in mind. And I got to train just to appreciate the value of throwing someone in the air and doing something in partnership. And the experience was nothing like I've ever experienced before. And so what has changed for me the most is this wonderful opportunity to no longer do things because I want something in the future, but I get to appreciate what I want to do in the moment. Oh, that's great. That's great. And the connection with all of your senses in the moment. That's right. The senses is like, uh, I do a lot of meditation now. Um, When I get, uh, I do have some PTSD and anxiety 
And um, constantly I go back into my body, connect to the senses. And I know my biggest healing mechanism is connecting to what I want to do that gives me joy, connecting to my body where it is in the moment um, and finding even, and when I search for something, I do what I'm passionate about because I'm passionate about because I want to live, not because I want what will come if I get passionate about something or the passion doesn't come from determination. Passion comes from the moment of wanting something. And it's a whole different way to live that I will admit. I, I have a friend with me. I didn't really live like that before. Right. She says no. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, it, it, it really was a gift and something I want to share with others. I wrote a book about it in the COVID story. It's an oral history, not just my voice, but like 30 people's, the, the doctors, the nurses, the, my family, friends, spiritual advisors who shared this journey with me. And I didn't do it by myself. They, they guided me. My, I had a shaman, it's a family shaman actually, who told who told me there's no better gift than being close to death. He was close to death three times. And he said, um, when you release yourself to the higher force, you um, you get something, an appreciation for life that you'll never ha- that you would never have gotten otherwise. And um, I can't say I saw God. I, I'm still missing out on that opportunity, you know, but that would have been great. But <laughs> I did, <laughs> I did, I did connect to that spirit that time, and the spirit told me I was gonna die. Spirit, and I had a fight for my life, and that gave me the the wherewithal to in in this time in my late forties to go. No, you're not done. You want to do things, and um, sometimes it's hard for coma victims to come back. Uh, there are days in which I wake, especially when you wake up after the dream world and you're released into the into the, that consciousness. You come back and you're like, um, it's hard to come back to this world, which is so full of suffering and pain. And um, your body is remembering the pain of the experience because the sleep is very much like the coma. And I had to train myself to go, okay, there's the pain. It's not a reflection of what reality is. It's part of reality. And let's go into why you do want to live. Remember, you did. And whenever I do that, whether it's teaching, dancing, um, writing, um, eating a good meal, (laughs) I like eating. So uh, whatever it is that's going to make one passionate, that's what I tune into to to really reconnect to the world. So you're enjoying every moment. As yeah, I do, and I'm not. It, it's it's it was easier in the beginning. Um, as time went on, each month I started getting into old habits, and you know, like there's a comparison. There's a mind of comparison that uh, we're always comparing ourselves to other people, and. It's weird because I've had it my whole life, but it's only now in my hypersensitive PTSD mind that everything is so sensitive. I can't do it anymore. I feel like comparing myself to some uh, other dancer or somebody walking seems happier. And for me, I just spent a few months, to be honest, sometimes getting caught in that. And it was only a few weeks ago that I said, enough, this is causing me suffering. The comparison is not working for me. I need to recognize that pattern, say, not, not, it's not an enjoyable pattern, and go down a different way, which is the level of, I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm, that's enough. You know, It's not living off some other vision of what I could be by comparing myself to somebody else. So it's really a great example for all of us. Not, the, not because we've been on death's door, but... But life, that joy doesn't come by comparison. That, right. that joy doesn't come with 
oh, but only if I get to this point will I then have yeah. arrived. And then that's when there's going to be that joy. But for from what I'm I'm understanding here, it your priorities shifted. Yeah. The, the joys are now with connections. That's right. And and recognizing that there's no way to do life alone. There's there no was, way to go through there, life and not have an effect on someone else, positive or negative. You found that out. Yeah. Um, but that's, I, I want to hear more about connections and going through life connected now. Yeah, it's a different experience. I will admit that before the coma, I really, and my friends and family have always complained that unless they were going to be on my acrobatic dance journey, um, I put them aside. And that's kind of true, right? I put, <laughs> yeah, she said yes. <laughs> uh, that's my friend Doris. So it, I lived live my life on a mission and it, to some degree it was successful because with that I prioritized the success of my acrobatic dance career um, and didn't really care about um, connection. And, and when connection came as a subset of either teaching or meeting people, I liked it, but it wasn't what it made me happy. When I woke up from the coma, I saw, and I don't know if it was the dream. It was the dream. It was, it was the dream when I was cut in half. And I knew that, my God, I've spent so much time in a, in a very selfish, I felt, I was like, my, I was selfish. And um, I don't know if I would have ever stopped being that way if I didn't have this experience where my life was stopped. And um, it gets the, I think it was training. You grow up just living in this world where I was not given credit or acceptance or love unless I did something. But what was weird is Despite me thinking that, I had thousands of people write me telling me they love me. And I could recognize, my God, all these people love me. All these people care about me. And I wasn't even hearing it. I still wasn't enough. I wasn't enough because I was seeking an elusive version of happiness that um, no matter what I sought was not enough. And yet the connections that were there were always enough right there with me. And I just wasn't focused on that. And in this last year, I can't say it happened like this. It did the first few months, but um, I see my mind go back into training. It's or it goes back into old training of being um, seeking happiness externally and uh, through through achievement, and not through just the connection I have with every day. And it, it's it takes work to undo everything else. But this month, this year rather, has been completely different than the rest of my life. Wow. You know, I, I, I listened to your story. And first of all, thanks for being a little bit vulnerable and sharing some of those uh, thoughts there, because it's not an easy thing. And I'm, I'm sure that we're just hearing a little bit of the, the story mm -hmm. there. But I, I have to, I have to just tell you that in, in a way, you're a little bit of my alter ego. And, <laughs> and, and Annette will understand why I say this is because when our kids were young, they're all over 30 now. But when our kids were young, I used to tell them that uh, when I was young, I, I ran away and joined the circus ah, wow. and was an acrobat. And so, you know, I, I think my kids could really appreciate uh, you 
the fact that you truly are. It really shattered their lives when they found out that I really wasn't an acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or maybe it was just that their dad was lying to them. I, I don't know what it was, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, 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 I listen to you talk there and I, and I, and I hear the passion in your voice and, and the passion, not only of what you've become and, you know, all of us, don't we all have, all of us have an opportunity to change through yeah. different experiences we have in our lives, whether the experience was a good experience or a very difficult experience, maybe a loss, maybe something else. I, I know Annette and I wouldn't be the same if we wouldn't uh, have experienced the loss of one of our children. I'm and and that was a difficult time. But at the same time, we always talk about the fact that uh, he was 21 years of, of age at the time that he passed away of his brain tumor. And and we, we talk about all the time that while we would love to bring him back, we wouldn't change the experiences that we've gained. Yeah. And uh, you know, hopefully maybe a little bit of wisdom along the way as well. And the difficulties, it wasn't easy. And we yeah. would slip back to those old patterns and ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. But we're we're getting better as we practice in staying in, in you know this healthier. The word that comes to mind is a holier pattern, which is interesting, in the fact that it is the connections. It is you know those are the things that bring us the joy and the happiness, and it's not the things. It's not the accomplishments, and I think that's where you're at, David, in, in moving forward, it's changing from these old patterns and thinkings that to be loved, I have to do this to, you know, or I have to, to win this and to accomplish it. That's, that's when, and what you've seen in that, maybe that, you know, cutting your spirit in half was okay. Get rid of this. That's right. It was. Can I ask you, uh, did you cover this in previous podcasts, the the loss of your son? Yeah, we have to a degree, a little bit, a little bit here and there. I, I'd just be curious. And of course, you could uh, say no. But what what patterns were definitely the connection with people? Like one of the things I say is tragedy has a real interesting way of eliminating should or shouldn't have what should or shouldn't be in the world. And um, whether that makes you more connected to uh, spirituality or, or or reality, either way, tragedy is um, in 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 for me one of the obstacles of happiness is viewing the world of what should or shouldn't be. Um, and when we get caught in that, I know I was thinking what should or shouldn't be with my coma. Like, uh, how does that? Is that one of the things that? a pattern that you confronted in finding your own holier thinking? Yeah, I, I think so. Let me, I'll go, I'll go first. Uh, I, this is something we could spend an awful lot of time about uh, there. And, and I think that uh, there's some, there's some similar responses that you'd have with what our responses would be as well. But one of the things that for me, for example, is that uh, I, I feel, and, and this is not to pat Mark on the back or anything like that, but I think that I become more compassionate mm-hmm. to to other people's issues and problems. You know, let me give you an example. Uh, about five years ago, we well, we, we lived in the same home for about 26 years. And about five years ago, we built a new home here in Utah. And it's right by the mountains, but it's also right in the flight pattern of life flight helicopters. And this wouldn't have happened before we lost our son, but every time a helicopter goes by, I, I say a silent prayer for whoever they're transporting on that uh, on that helicopter, 
and and I and I and I have some real compassion for what those people must be going through after seeing the serious illness and the the pain and the suffering that our son went through. Yeah. And and I would say the same that empathy and it it doesn't have to be the same experience that they're going through but understanding pain is real. That's right, yeah. And and it's that pain and and knowing what they're going to experience takes me right back. Yeah. And then it is that offering that silent prayer. It is that's why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. You know, with trail angels and care on the load is to help others know that life is precious and life is messy. Yeah. And it's full of pain, but it's full of joy. And and I had to learn how to let go of what I thought things should look like. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. And trust that I don't know best in the shoulds. And God does know what is best for me. Yeah. Is best for my family and and those around. And, And so it was taking a lot of that maybe shame away in a way of some things that I felt mm-hmm. and fear and trusting that if he asked me to do this, to help someone else on their journey, I'll do it yeah. because I don't want them feeling like they're alone and no one's gone through this. Yeah. I have a hundred questions about that. <laughs> I think <laughs> like one of the, I, I know that Tony Robbins is very big on anybody who's who experiences level of suffering tragedy has so much to offer others in terms of love and compassion that can quickly turn around. And I'm, I'm hearing that from you guys. And I'm also hearing that um, with what should and, and, and shouldn't be in the world is, is really a uh, prevents a level of acceptance. And then once that um, I know that for me, one of the struggles this last year is, getting caught up in the thoughts of the worst parts of the world. And um, depression is a little weird or a little strange because when you're there, you think that that's what the world only is. And, um, and if you fight it, it just fights you back harder. And I, I, I know that anybody else who's grieving, there is a trail, there is a trail for other, for us to follow, which is feeling it, knowing it, and then also seeking out, those joys and people and your capacity for connecting to people after you feel the depth of whatever suffering you're going through will grow exponentially because of your acceptance of that pain. But you know, David, tragedy is a two-edged sword as well. And uh, we have opportunities to, to react or, or act towards what happens to us. And uh, you know, just, just like you have, there are probably countless others that are probably still asking the question, why? Yes. You know, why, why do I have to, why did I have to go through this? Why did I have to go through this pain and this suffering? And, you know, I believe that uh, the longer the time goes by, you gain more perspective. You, you gain more acceptance, but you also gain the appreciation that what you've gone through truly has made you a more whole person. Definitely. And I think what you, you you also hit the nail on the head when you said you stopped fighting it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It takes that 
conscious decision on all of our parts to stop fighting it. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever that resistance is within, because we think we know best. We think that should, what it should Mm -hmm. look like. Mm -hmm. Or we give ourselves a timetable for, for becoming whole again. We do our best and we listen to those, those promptings and to God of what we you know should do or what we feel like we should do and then we can go forward i know that yeah contacting other people who experience tragedy uh and are still affected by it 20 i have two friends who were 9-11 a firefighter and and a work and a worker one who was knocked unconscious and still feels the effects of it and to know um he they're both were so loving to me and knowing this is like, Hey man, we're all still crying in bed. And these are, these are my football buddies from high school, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And, and that when I open myself up to that pain, knowing that other people, it's going to take time. Um, and it, it, it's been a, it's been a wild journey. I can say the other thing that was interesting for me, uh, when I woke up, I was just so thankful to be alive. And then I had this uh, kind of, Really, I thought that I knew I shouldn't think. And I said, if I think this thought, boy, it's going to be a tough road. Because up to then, I felt so fortunate. I was like, my God, all these people passed away. How horrible. Uh, look at, um, uh, you know, I got saved by this great machine and, and these great doctors, a great hospital. And then I had this horrible thought that said, wait a second, maybe I'm not so lucky. Well, you know, my brother got sick. He's the one that probably gave it to me. He's the same size as me. He was sick one week and he was fine, you know, and, and, and all these other people didn't, maybe, maybe I got unlucky. The moment I had that thought, I entertained it and I spent probably the most depressed week I had in decades (laughs) where I sat in the hospital, everybody came in and said, what happened to you? Really? The truth was, is I had a thought that sunk me (laughs) that actually I wasn't lucky. I was actually unlucky. And that's what I quote in the book is a story about the Cherokee, Cherokee legend where an old grandfather tells his grandson that we have two wolves uh, in in us fighting for attention. One that's mean and angry and jealous and one that's happy and gracious. And um, the boy says, well, uh, in the battle, as they battle, who's going to win? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. And I keep that that theory every day that we think what we're feeling is an objective perspective of what's going on. But actually what we feed, eventually there's an element of feeding the wolf that's angry and then feeding the one that's going to give us that light and joy. For me, it's this wonderful 20-month-old baby. I, I get the fortune to be around and give me a lot of love and um, in addition to whatever pain is around. That's that's a great perspective and uh, something we could probably spend the entire uh, time on. But I, I want to change basis just for a second here. You know, we we talked about empathy and some of the things that we've learned. And in your bio, you talk about literacy based empathetic or empathy curriculum. And Annette and I are very interested in knowing what that is about. And uh, sure, I, I I made the mistake in my uh, marriage that I really thought to make, we fought all the time. We were very, you know, we did great shows. And right in the moment we got off stage, it was a battle of who made the most mistakes. And, <laughs> and I knew that if I could just convince her why she was wrong, 
that I could save this marriage. And apparently that was the wrong perspective. Didn't really work. (laughs) 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 At the very, the very end of the marriage, um, we went to couples counseling. A counselor recommended this technique called nonviolent communication. And in it, it says that um, there's a theory that if you connect to your feelings, um, your feelings are going to direct you to universal needs, things that everybody wants in the world, whether it's respect, shared uh, partnership, mutuality, love, care. Um, for me, a uh, big one is understanding. Uh, if you understand me, that feels um, that's always yearning. Sometimes it's to be seen, to be heard. Um, and there's a whole list. And if you can connect to those universal needs that everybody has, first in yourself and then in somebody else, you will discover a whole new level of language. Actually, just my friend Doris and her husband, uh, wonderful uh, uh, lesson with me. Um, we we help. Uh, I help other people work on the communication. I wish I pursued in my marriage. And in it, um, we, we forget about interpretations of who did what and why. We just connect to what happened without a commentary about it. What are you feeling? What are you needing? And what are you, what can you request of the other person? It's a very, they call it nonviolent communication, also compassionate communication. It is brilliant in getting out of the fights that where couples go awry and you said this to me and that, and we won't even go down that path. And it transformed my life. I actually teach it now uh, to children. I'm a social emotional learning teacher in my school and we include it in our empathy curriculum. We have, I have an empathy curriculum, sorry, that we include in literacy as well. Um, and the essence of it is if you connect to yourself, your feelings and needs, then you can connect to somebody else's feelings and needs. You'll transform communication. That makes so much sense because so often we don't know what we're feeling ourselves. And so when you talk about connecting to your feelings, that's what makes sense. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we, we've lived in this time where we just shove everything under the rug. That's right. You know what? You fall, you're scraped, you're bleeding. Oh, it doesn't hurt. Stop yeah. crying. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting that like, Feelings, you learn very early in school and in life that feelings don't help you in any way. <laughs> so a lot of people like myself, I was a football player. I shut them all down. Um, Doris was in the military. She said, yeah, same thing. They weren't useful. And if it can be reconnected to unnumb what um, what we experience in our in growing up, in our conditioning to say, well, why are feelings useful? And if you can connect them to the universal need that you have, I know when I'm in a conflict now with my dance partner, my ex-wife, I need a shared reality. That for me is big. And um, the strategy I go about to achieve that, that, that shared reality may or may not work. Um, but the moment I connect to my own deep need, I, I, I get less clingy on needing her to fill that. You know, and the more that we can connect to my need for respect when, you know, I'm at school and some kid blows up at me for who knows what happened to them. And I'm going, you know, I can say, wait, I'm needing respect here. And if I can connect to that, I'm not going to lash out. I'm going to be able to handle it with more um, with better with better results. (laughs) If I do it without consciousness, without the consciousness of what I'm feeling, what I'm needing, sometimes I don't communicate so well. To put it politely, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. It does, uh, and and the other thing that I've learned is when you're looking outward to have someone fill that need inside, it's never right. enough. That's right. That's and right. we we have to learn to be able to heal ourselves and have that self love and that self care, and to heal with a higher power. 
whatever that higher power is in, in our lives to be, that's where the true healing comes. It could feel that hole. And then when things happen and you get triggered, it's not the same. Yeah. I think like you guys are better. Um, you know, I only had three years of marriage. You had 37 years. So right. you, <laughs> this might be your area of expertise, but when I do uh, help couples, yeah. When they connect to other people, whether it's a higher power or um, not getting their partner to fill all their needs, um, they can, it begins to create a uh, better dialogue that's much better for him than conflict. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we, 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 we talk to a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of couples. Uh, we, we both have there. And uh, it, it seems to be a similar message. And that is, is that uh, when we stopped keeping score, score then, then everything changed and, and, and everything uh, got better. And I think that we do that uh, too often as we, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in any kind of a, any, any type of a relationship, we, we tend to keep score and we, we tend to be thinking above what the other person is saying, thinking, what am I going to say next? And, and, and communication, while it isn't the end all, it, it sure helps when you can communicate well. Definitely. One of the things that I learned um, that I, I try to have the partners do is we try to connect to what the other, not just what you're feeling and needing, but what is your partner feeling and needing? Yeah. You can only do that as you connect to yourself first, kind of like the, the, the oxygen mask that comes out on the, in the, uh, on the plane before you take care of your kid. But when you can do that, it gives an opportunity um, to get out of uh, a right or wrong judgment. This person's just wrong because they did this. And way more can happen when we break out of right and wrong or keeping score, like you said. Yeah. You know, we're getting a little bit too serious here. We, we, we've got to take it back to the uh, to the fun here. And, and you know, everything that you have said is is absolutely right on the money. And and whether it's coming from you or from someone else that we've talked to a doctor or anything else, there's some real commonalities there. And, and that is, is it's, uh, you know, you, you just have to respect the other people around you. And as you do that, all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden, your perspectives change. But we, we've got to start talking a little bit of, about America's Got Talent, because like I said before, everybody watches America's Got Talent. You've got to give us a little bit of a perspective about that and uh, what that was like. Not to discount anything that you have said about your experience with COVID. Yeah, for me, my biggest passion in life is throwing people in the air. I, I get no better satisfaction than a flip happening and, and, and catching somebody. And I started. Uh, Why do I sense that Doris is laughing in the background? <laughs> she is, are you laughing? Yeah, she's laughing. You're exactly right. <laughs> she does the acrobatics too. She's great. And um, I, I, I find um, I was a salsa dancer and really terrible at salsa dancing. Um, but they, they put me on the team as a guy who could do the lifts. And that was amazing because you'd have these beautiful dancers dancing salsa. I'd come on stage in the middle, throw a woman, flip her in the air, have her come down, walk off the stage. And I got the biggest round of applause. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I shouldn't salsa dance. Maybe I should just do the acrobatics. It took about 10 years to figure that out. Um, and when I did that, I started getting um, all these great shows. Uh, and, and when I hit America's Got Talent, that's when my life changed that that really it changed forever. And that moment was special because I heard about the show, but I never saw it. And I went in and um, 
I'm doing, uh, we walk through a few rounds and we get to the theater and we're below the uh, stage and suddenly we hear buzzers. And uh, my partner looks at me funny. She says, you didn't tell me they're buzzers. And not only were we didn't know they're the buzzers, there were thousands of people in the audience booing people off the stage. And you could hear. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and we were like, oh, my gosh. She, you know, I, I pulled her into some tough situations. This by far was the toughest. Um, so fortunately, our producer, we had just gotten married, my dance partner and I. Uh, we had a great story. I thought they were, sometimes they set you up for failure, you know, epic failure, because that makes good TV. And sometimes they set you up for an epic uh, situation. For, for us, um, they did. They said, nail that first move. If you nail that first move, you'll have the audience. So Zoe is 100 pounds. I was 240 at the time. She lifts me over her back and then has me sit in uh, on her lap. She's 100 pounds. The crowd gives us a standing ovation 15 minutes into the show. Um, <laughs> and we could see wow. them like, wow, this is going really well. My mother was in the audience, could barely walk. She had two busted knees, runs down the aisle saying, that's my son. That's my son. Security <laughs> guards had to like tackle her saying, hey, you, what are you doing? And um, it was one of the best moments of my life because the, you know, while I still talked earlier about struggling with affirmation, getting a standing ovation in the middle of a show was like nothing else. It was the best moment in my life and well, one of the most, one of the best. And um, from that show, it was interesting because they really pushed us to, um, we were fighting a lot, but the moment the camera came on, they'd have me massaging her uh, feet or feeding her cherries. And like, they really souped up the show really, really well. And then in the next, but they always wanted you to do the harder levels. We went to Vegas. We did that. We hit the, hit the next round, which was in LA. And up until that moment, I had never done um, this move where I pick up my partner from uh from her ankles, and I lift her up like this. You can look it up on uh, Paradiso Dance on YouTube, P-A-R-A-D-I-Z-O. And I, up in that moment, I only done it twice in my life. But my coach said, "When you get, when you get in front of millions of people, you'll make it happen." And uh, right before the show, I tried to do it, and I busted my back. And I'm, I'm a semi spiritual person. But there were no masseuses available, so we got a spiritual healer. And a spiritual healer healed my back. It was amazing. And when it came time, I did the move, and I got her up. This was like the quarterfinals. And um, I could tell you that was also one of the best moments. Like We did a beautiful show. And after that, we got eliminated because we, we saved our best routine for her spinning on one finger over my head. We were saving that for the finals, and then uh, we didn't make the finals, so we should have did it. This <laughs> yeah, you never know. But that show put us on the map. And from that, we traveled around the world, did it. I would work during the week as a school teacher on the weekends. Uh, you know, I'd leave Friday night, <laughs> head somewhere, so arrive Saturday morning, do some shows, come back Sunday night. And none of the kids really knew about it. And, uh, but uh, we, we, we had the best, it was the best time of my life. It was incredible. School teacher by week, uh, superhero by the weekend there. Yeah, it was the wonderful time of my life. And you could tell, like, you know, I, I could say when you taste that level of joy, sometimes life is harder after that. You know, like you hear about athletes who like have the great rush and then what did they do afterwards? And I definitely, unfortunately, my I didn't have the skills I do now. And my my wife, she's still my best friend. Um, we split and I used the skills I learned to keep our friendship, which is great. And um, and our partnership, but we never really achieved that same level again. And um, I could say that 
in some ways that was really, it was really tough, but in retrospect, I had the highest highs and now I get to, even while there's still more to achieve, I can still find the joy of learning new moves, teaching these wonderful people. Um, and, and I had a kids group that was doing acrobatics that you could find, um, also on YouTube. And yeah, it, it, it's been a really great ride. Awesome. You know, it's, it's so fun to see, see the journey to see the past and, and, and things that you've taken. And, and, you know, that was happiness. That was just this, you know, thrill that, and things that you succeeded in. Yeah. And then here your, your story changes and you go down this path and this journey and, and you end up, you know, with a really difficult battle to fight. Yeah. You had a choice that you, you needed to make and you chose to win to live by winning. <laughs> so, and now, you know, you're paying it forward. And, you know, a lot of, we have these guests on our show and, and we, we look at you as a trail angel, you know, you're not sitting back and you're not saying, you know what life I'm here, I'm breathing. I'm going to stay in the moment. You're now paying it forward. Yeah. You're now helping others learn things that you learned through your experience. Um, And thank you. Thank you for that. But one of the things we like to ask our guests, who's been a trail angel for you and Mm. and why? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I've had many. My strongest influence is a man named Artie Phillips, who I used to think to do partner acrobatics, you needed to throw the woman with all your might. <laughs> That's how I started out. And a few people taught me that way. This beautiful man used to follow, he'd be the flyer and the base for acrobatics. So he knew what it was like to go in the air. And he said, no, partner acrobatics is partnering. You missed that part of the, uh, <laughs> of, of, of the phrase there. And he taught me to use my energy in conjunction with the flyer to pursue the best results. And his teaching, he passed away, unfortunately, but his teaching um, for me not only was a physical exercise, but was a spiritual exercise and how to listen and how to connect. And I try, I passed that message down to thousands of people. He, he opened it up for me, and I believe I've opened that up now to others. Artie Phillips is his name, and a brilliant, brilliant hustle, Latin hustle dancer, um, great, great street dancer, maybe didn't get the ballroom credit he deserves, but... Um, he changed my life the most. And I would say the other guy was in college, the first teacher who believed in me. Um, I was doing uh, education for the first time and uh, was talking about the sociology of knowledge and saying, if you could just see knowledge as a construction, you could uh, see the conflicts. You can work through conflicts of, of how people see the world differently. We can actually achieve a better unity. I was a little naive at the time, but he believed in me. (laughs) So um, from that, I was able to work harder than I had in my my entire life. And um, how what he did for me is believe in me. And that's something I pass on to every student I ever work with. And I I do. I believe in every student, whatever goal they want to do. And we just got to figure out, okay, um, whether it's small or big, let's let's figure out each step towards what it's going to take to get there. That's another commonality right there, is, is believing in someone else. It is. And oftentimes, 
our belief in ourselves comes after someone else has believed in us. Definitely. <laughs> and, and I'm so grateful for those and individuals who had those trail angels in my life. I really like what Artie taught you too about this, this, you need to be a partner. You're in it together and together you're so much stronger. You know, we like to say that, you know, with Karen Mm -hmm. alone, we're stronger together. Yeah. And, and that really is, is the truth. Yeah. You know, I, I look at where you're at and I, and we really appreciate you spending the time with us today. I, you know, you, you can, you can, Find more about uh, David Paris with his uh, with his uh, book, The COVID Story, and uh, also you you also are the author of four adolescent novels as well. I wrote two volumes of Laughable Legends and then two volumes of uh, called Middle School Election and Middle School President, which were satires of uh, Trump's uh, election and also his presidency with no political bias. It's both sides characters from i wanted it wasn't one some people say i'm a little bit left some people say i'm too on the left some people say i'm too on the right <laughs> if i get complaints from both sides i know i did something well so i did uh, <laughs> i did uh want to explain the political the politics of how people fight and um it just intrigues me to to do it in a way that engages kids and they may or may not get the political references but uh, adults can and um it's my passion to get uh, through humor and through good writing to get kids engaged in, in the world. Well, thank you. We will put links to all of those um, books in our show notes and to your website and blog. So people will know how to, to reach out to you and. Yeah. If anybody wants to, I I give the copies digitally for free. Just email me at uh, info David Paris books. It'd be my pleasure to share you can share it with anybody. Uh, my story, it's it's a very lighthearted read, easy to, easy read, um, and philosophical, but you'll definitely um, laugh a lot. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Our guests will really appreciate that, too. Well, thank you for joining us today. Oh, hope that you've enjoyed our conversation um, with David Paris. What a wonderful man. He's he's taught us and, and helped us in, in many ways to recognize the power of of letting go yeah. of the should haves and yeah. learning from our experiences, those hard experiences in life that if we choose to can change us for the better. Each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Care in the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep caring.